Welcome to the Capital Allocation Station on this tech edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. Sean O'Reilly here at Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Friday, April 15, 2016. Happy Tax Day. And with me in studio is the incomparable, the snappy dresser, Dylan Lewis. What's up, man? Doing all right. Uh, I will say I think Capital Allocation Station is probably like the worst sounding ride in an amusement park. The <laughs> it's almost as bad as the band name for the fake band that you're going to have editorial head up. Which oh, the, was... the inefficient market hypothesis. Oh my god! It actually, oh man, it's so good. It, it's such like, a good finance nerd joke, but right. it's one of those things that everyone else is like. Oh, come on! It's I don't know. I like it yeah. anyway. Um, uh, just so everybody knows, we're going to be talking about just capital allocation in the tech sector, and it's, you know. A little bit more boring than we usually talk about. But we're gonna we're gonna make it snappy. We're gonna make it cool. And uh, the the other alternative that I was gonna mention was this is basically you and I telling companies how to run their businesses and their treasury departments. Yeah, but, yeah. We'll do a little run through on capital allocation, some of the different forms it might take, how you might hear about it in the news. One company that did not do such a great job with their capital allocation. It was it was yeah. And yeah. another company that's we'll done there. a very great job. Um, so Dylan, for those of you who those that may not know, what is capital allocation? Yeah, capital allocation is basically how a company decides to divvy up their financial resources. And the goal, of course, being to maximize value for shareholders. Um, so it might be unfamiliar as an umbrella term for some people. Um, investors will generally recognize the different actions business can take, though. So, like you think about things like share repurchases, initiating a dividend or growing that dividend, uh, plowing money into research and development, purchasing new property and equipment. Uh, making an acquisition, something like that. These are all types of things that play into the idea of how a company allocates its capital. And obviously, it requires making a judgment as to uh, future returns for any of those initiatives. And there needs to be a hurdle, and all that stuff needs to be done. Um, What? How would you say, just for the layman, a business should make those decisions given where they are in their business cycle or anything like that. Yeah, I think like what where they are. The things that are most predictable, and I think probably the things you hear about the most as an investor are repurchase programs and dividend payments. You know, mm-hmm. it's really hard to anticipate something like an acquisition. Um, you know, research and development is obviously kind of this ongoing thing behind the scenes, and you don't get a ton of insight into it. Um, so uh, those are the two that really stand out. And for those two, I think it really depends on the business profile. So, you have uh, you know, your high-growth company, uh, they're in a phase where they're plowing money into R&D. Um, they're trying to build out maybe um, Salesforce to better sell their products, um, you know, grow the top line. Uh, they're going to be looking to hold on to their capital, push it into different types of innovation. Because theoretically, the money that could be made with their fast-growing operations and forming out a niche market is better than paying out a dividend to shareholders or something. Exactly. Like If you're growing your top line at Thirty percent, something like that. You shouldn't be passing along a three percent right. dividend yield to right. investors. The, the money is much better spent investing it internally and just growing that engine. Uh, and typically, these are going to be your mid small cap companies. Um, they also tend to have your less stable cash flows, right? I mean, you don't want to be committing to or lack thereof, or lack. Thereof. Yes, <laughs> uh, you don't want to be committing to a dividend program in particular because once you initiate something like that. It game on, like people are expecting it all the time, or um, even just announcing share repurchases. If you don't have the money set aside to continue to grow your business and also handle those other operations, it's amazing to me, and it's I think been a real treat, particularly for the tech sector over the last twenty years, to see the the high flying 
tech bubble names like the the Cisco's and the Microsoft's and all those things. These things had like multiples of three, four hundred times earnings. They had no cash. Like it was just crazy. And now, um, I mean, heck, I mean, Apple has more money than the federal government of the United <laughs> States. Microsoft's a steady dividend pair since two thousand three. Cisco, which was I, I remember their multiple write-ups in you know 1998 1999 2000 that we studied in my business school classes in uh, 2000 2004 that was just egregious value like this company should not be valued this way this is crazy like they don't and now they have a 50 billion dollar bank account they pay a dividend it's a value stock by any metric as i've highlighted in previous episodes so the dichotomy there and just the change that's occurred is crazy to me and all those names you highlighted have made that transition right Right. from being that high growth company to now kind of this second class of companies um, We've seen them grow from uh, crazy wild teenagers to <laughs> mature adults. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so you know they're in more of a steady growth ca- uh, phase, um, probably somewhere in the single digits in top line growth. I mean, generally that's where you tend to see these um, consistently profitable, nice, reliable cash flows. Um, these are all companies that are going to be more likely to return capital to shareholders via repurchases or dividends. Right. Um, do you have any um, companies that come to mind that you really like that have done this over the past? Well, I think just a case in point in. Um, tech companies maturing is Google. Yeah, I mean, you know, we yeah. talked about maybe I don't know two quarters ago, two earnings reports ago. Um, they initiated or they uh, authorized a share repurchase program to the tune of, I think like five billion dollars or something like that. And that was the first one ever. First one ever. Yeah. yeah. And you know, and this is a company that's been notoriously growth, 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 growth. Right. Uh, kind of um, throwing side- money at everything, <laughs> sidestepping <laughs> being friendly to Wall Street. Um, you know, their new CFO is much more Wall Street friendly, Ruth Porat. Um, but that's just an example of uh, a company that invested in growth for such a long time, and you know, was profitable for such a long time, but only recently decided, all right, we're gonna, you know, give a little handout to our shareholders via share repurchases and kind of rein in what's been going on in terms of shares outstanding. Yeah, um, one of my favorite examples, and this is you know going back a while, but. We were coming up with the ideas for this show, um, and it sounds crazy that Buffett would do this, but um, Buffett actually bought a tech stock in the 1970s. Uh, did he? Yeah. Like, it's, you know, you grow up and you're like, oh, yeah, Buffett doesn't buy tech stocks, he buys Coca Cola and just. Yeah, he, he, he likes boring companies. Right. And yeah. it's because they're steady and predictable, Dylan. Come yeah. on. <laughs> um, but uh, it was specifically for the reasons that we're talking about. They made this really great shift to being a responsible capital allocator in buying back shares and all that good stuff. Um, under the leadership of Henry Singleton in the 1970s, um, Teledyne Corp, I think it was actually Teledyne Technologies, and this was like a quasi-defense contractor tech firm. It was actually a remnant, and it was originally founded in 1960. It was part of the 1960s conglomerate boom. Um, you know, we're going back 40 years here, but <laughs> finance doesn't change much. Um, but then the 1970s bear market happened, and if you thought that 2008, 2009 was bad, 1973 and four were equally as bad. Like the average multiple on the S&P 500 was like seven. It was low. Like, it was really, really bad. So, it sounds like you're leading to uh, a buying opportunity. Yeah, no. And so, what Singer did was uh, their stock dropped from like 40 to eight bucks, and he had issued a ton of shares into the conglomerate boom. They had all this cash lying around. They had all these arguably stable, great defense contractory type stable businesses. Started buying back tons of stock. Um, over the ensuing 10 years, I had some data here. Hold on. Um, in the ensuing 10 years, Earnings went up 89%. Shares went up 
You mean uh-huh. individual share price? Yeah. Yeah. This is really, really good. Annual income increased by 89%, and net income increased by 315%. The stock, on the other hand, went from 8 bucks. now remember the high previously was 40 to by the end of the decade, I'm sorry, by 1976, uh, I'm sorry, end of the decade, $175. Wow. Because of all these share buybacks. Yeah, and because that pie 17 seems- bagger, like this is better than a 17 bagger, and it was all just because... This engineer CEO of a tech firm was smart enough to know, okay, yeah, we probably shouldn't buy other businesses. We probably shouldn't invest in R&D. We should probably just buy back our shares because we're trading at a ridiculously low valuation compared to where we should be. And, and, and of course, part of that share price appreciation is the fact that the pie is being split right. in much fewer slices once business prospects turn around. Right. right. Yeah. The share count goes down, and even if your net income stays the same, the piece of the pie is increasing, and your earnings per share go up, and the earnings that you own or have claim on are higher. Yeah. And I think that perfectly highlights uh, you know, one of the big advantages of um, repurchase plans and uh, that style of capital allocation, where you have the opportunity to opportunistically buy uh, when shares are low. And um, take advantage of possibly the market undervaluing a company. I mean, obviously, who should know better about the, the prospects of a business over right. the next couple of years than the people managing it? Than the CEO. You'd yeah. think, right? One would think. Um, I do think one of the things that tends to get overlooked uh, with capital allocation and um, the theory with dividends is that by issuing dividends, becoming a dividend payer, you are essentially saying, we're doing this every quarter, every year, right. whatever your term is, and you're kind of locked into that, and that attracts a certain type of investor. Right. Um, when you commit to a dividend program, uh, you're going to get people that are income oriented, and you're signaling to people that, in a lot of ways, they can kind of set and forget their investments. They're going to collect that yield over time, mm-hmm. and um, not only that, but they're saying that we think our shareholders can do better with this money, even after paying taxes on those dividends, than we can at least this chunk. Mm-hmm. And it and it does offer the stock, I think, a lot of stability just because people sure. are buy and hold. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, after the break, we're going to profile two different companies. One we think was smart with its capital allocation decisions, and one that wasn't. Uh, before that, I wanted to highlight to our listeners, as I have in the past, that for those of you looking for more great foolish content, a special offer for the Motley Fool Stock Advisor newsletter is available to all industry focused listeners. That works out to one hundred and twenty nine dollars for a full two year subscription. To take advantage of this offer, just head over to Focus. Fool.com. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. Um, so, Dylan, who's going first? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Okay, ready? Rock, Rock paper, scissors, scissors, shoot. All right, I won. I'm going to go first. Darn it. So, I'm taking the company. You knew I was that... go scissors, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I had you read. Um, I'm going to take a company that did not do such a great job, and I'm going to talk about GoPro. And so, um, based on just profiling, like we talked about in the first half of the show. Why are you hitting on, hating on GoPro, Dylan? Oh, I mean, I'm. I'm an Ambrella shareholder, so I want to see GoPro do right. well. Yeah. But um, based on what we talked about in the first half of the show, by all indications, GoPro is in that growth phase, right? And they should be feeling. They R&D. just went public. Yeah, they went public within the last two years. They do not have a dominant market position. They yeah. are not minting cash flow. They're in nascent consumer, consumer yeah. tech market. Um, but in the uh, fiscal Q3 call uh, last October, they announced our board of directors has recently approved a stock re- repurchase plan of up to $300 million. Our newly authorized Class A share repurchase program runs for 12 months, allowing us to remain opportunistic buyers and return cash to shareholders. So at the time that they announced this, this was late October, uh, they had about $2.5 billion market cap, trailing PE in the mid-20s. So actually, given what their not growth high. had been, not yeah. crazy. And I do understand... Um, 
you know, they were, I think they were at 16% year-over-year growth in 2015 overall. I do understand seeing that PE, seeing that valuation, wanting to be a little bit opportunistic and having the flexibility to do that. But I do think there are some major red flags that should have been present at the time. Especially to yeah. management. Yeah. And so, during that announcement, this was also the same quarter that they missed guidance for the first time as a publicly traded company. So, they... Dun, dun, dun. And right. very early in their history as a public company. Yes. So, yeah. Um, and... Woodman, uh, Nick Woodman, the CEO, said uh, in attributing that misguidance, had said, "Looking back, we now believe that we underfunded marketing in the second and third quarters of the year, which impacted demand. To address this, we're taking a more aggressive advertising approach in the fourth quarter, which includes a return to television following a one-year hiatus." So, not good. Yeah, <laughs> you're talking about how you should have allocated internally right. to you know selling and advertising, um, and then you're also announcing that you're going to be possibly buying back shares. It just seems. I like right. you're misprioritizing where money needs to be going. Of course, the following quarter, Q4 2015, they went on to misguidance again. Um, and ultimately, uh, in that call, they kind of provided an update on what the repurchase program was looking like, how much had been executed. This is going to be bad. Uh, so they said, we've repurchased 1.5 million shares at an average price of approximately $23. Uh, for a total of $35.6 million through December 31st. We have a remaining share repurchase authorization of $264.4 million. And if you remember correctly, uh, they IPO'd for right around 24 bucks. And I also know that bucks. they're about 13 or 14 right now. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so uh, they didn't get a huge discount on what they had originally sold those shares for. Right. And in the, you know, so they also, based on that cost basis, clearly executed that first 10% of the share uh, repurchase authorization immediately after they announced it. Right. And uh, the shares are down, the ones that they bought, 40% since they executed it. The dichotomy here between this and, by saying this, I'm not advocating that GoPro start an online bookstore, but the dichotomy there between them and Amazon that literally says, we ain't buying back any shares, we're not going to pay out dividends, we're just going to keep investing in our operations until we win. Yeah. Big black and white difference there. And I think... I do understand, you know, a lot of tech companies issue equity as, um, you know, they, they do share, share grants options, as part yeah. of their compensation. And I do understand wanting to have this uh, as a way to mitigate against shares outstanding, getting crazy out of hand and diluting existing shareholders. But this is not a company that is entrenched in this very stable space. You know, like I said, they're in consumer tech, they're making pushes into virtual reality capture and drone capturing. Uh, both of these markets barely scratch the surface. It just seems odd to me right. that they're prioritizing something like this. And, I mean, the fact that they timed it so poorly shows that management doesn't have a very good finger on the pulse of what's going on in the business. Yeah, and actually, that's a great segue to the company that I wanted to highlight, which is Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Um, they have arguably had a monopoly since the late 80s. I mean, yeah. Who <laughs> like ninety percent market share the entire time of the PC market, probably higher. They didn't start paying out a dividend until uh, two thousand three. As I'm going to point out in a second here, more in depth, they didn't really start buying back shares in earnest until the mid two thousands. Um, they bought back a few, like I think we looked earlier, it was like a couple hundred million dollars, and that was clearly in the nineties. And that was clearly just to kind of take care of the dilution from all the options right. they were giving employees. Um, they have a monopoly. They're generating billions of dollars in free cash flow, and they didn't even do what GoPro did until way later. Yeah, I mean that's just like that's baffling, guys. <laughs> like, what are you doing? So, so what else do you have in terms of uh, Microsoft strengths? Yeah, on the so allocation side. What I wanted our listeners just to kind of bring it around to know was, um, is uh, most of us probably know Microsoft shares have kind of languished a little bit since the bubble popped in two thousand. Like the stock was at 
huge multiples and everything, and they didn't really go anywhere for until very recently, actually, until uh, Balmer stepped down and they got the new CEO, uh, Nadella. Um, they bought back anywhere from after the bubble popped three to six point five billion dollars worth of shares in two thousand one, two thousand five. The stock kept languishing. So they're like, we're gonna really we we're making more and more money every year. Um, profits went from 2001, profits were $7 billion. They were $12 billion in 2005. They kept growing to over $20 billion by the early 2010s. So the business is doing fine this whole time, but the shares just aren't going anywhere. So clearly, as responsible capital allocators, they're going to be like, eh, maybe yeah. we buy back some shares. Yeah, let's slice this pie a couple, a few less times. Exactly. Right. That is what they started doing in 2005 in uh, in a big way. 2005, they bought back 8 billion shares. 2006, 19 billion. 2007, 27 billion dollars. And all of this is after paying that um, that 32 billion dollar special dividend in 2003. It was really funny to see this like huge two dollar, three four dollar. <laughs> yeah, just like yeah. boom. Um, 12 billion in 2008. Nine in 2009. 11 billion dollars worth of shares in 2010. And this whole time. At the depths of the Great Recession, you know, the year when uh, Microsoft bought back, I don't know, $9 billion worth of shares, and the previous year they had bought back uh, $17 billion, uh, the, the P.E. on Microsoft got as low as 9 mm-hmm. This is crazy awesome purchases that they're making. Yeah. Um, the stock went from the mid-teens, like it touched bottom in 2009 at $15 a share. All those repurchases were made over the last 10 years, and now Microsoft is at 55 Yeah. That is awesome. And looking at just their history as a company, they didn't start buying back shares. I mean, it probably goes back to somewhere in the you know early '90s. I think their share right. buybacks. Um, and but even the, then, it was it just was, like two hundred million a year. Yeah, it and it was and it was to offset a lot of um, equity grants. But uh, I think that they were in a much better position when they did that to continue to fuel the growth mm-hmm. that they were needing to push. Right. Uh, and also take care of shareholders. Right. It wasn't all or one, and not to say that it was with GoPro, but. Um, they seem much more in the we need to grow, we need to innovate, we need to invest in that R and D to eventually get to this point. Right. It just seemed kind of premature on there. When place. when GoPro is uh, generating billions upon billions of dollars in free cash flow every year that you don't know what to do with to expand your market position, then do what you did. Yeah. But anyway, cool. All right. Well, thanks for your thoughts, Dylan. Always a pleasure. I will say, Sean, if uh, free, if listeners are interested in hearing a little bit more on this, one of our Fool.com writers, Evan New, has put together an excellent article looking at uh, GoPro's share repurchase program and some of the dynamics at play since their IPO. Uh, the headline is, Why I Hate GoPro Inc. Share Repurchase Program, and You Should Too. He is not beating around the bush. No, he's, he's making it very clear how he feels about it. So, uh, if you go to fool.com, you can find it there. Uh, a little bit more insight uh, than we scratched on the show. Cool. All right. And if you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Once again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people in this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Dylan Lewis, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!